Remain standing, please, for the reading of God's word. Psalm 63 says, O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. In a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your holy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with morrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches, because you have been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. My soul, my soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek my life to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for the jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him shall glory. But the mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped. Amen. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, open them up with me. We're ready for um, Mark chapter 16 this morning. Today we get Easter in August. You guys ready for Easter in August? Minus the bunnies and, and the fact that you guys have to go home and hide Easter baskets for your kids. So today we, we reach the pinnacle of Christianity. Really, the resurrection is, is, is what separates us from the rest of the religions, the rest of the world. We, we talk about often, and I talk about it, and I have a great um, affection for the cross. And as you guys see here, we put crosses on our walls. We, we wear crosses around our neck. Everything that we preach is the cross, the cross, the cross. Billy Graham, on his 90th birthday several years ago, wanted to make a last-stitch um, effort to reach the, the United States and the world with the gospel. They bought, they bought time on Fox News channels and major news channels all around the world and aired a special that Billy Graham did just several years ago. We did it here. And what was it called? The Cross. Because in Billy Graham, who was a, you know, the, the greatest evangelist we've ever witnessed in our lifetime, who... It's about the cross, the cross, the cross. And yet, we have today, and, and we studied last week that it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And Friday represents the suffering and the death of Jesus upon the cross. And in our lives, sometimes it's that way. We're going to suffer. We're going to face hardship. We're going to go through hard things. And it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. But what happened on Sunday? He rose. He got up. He rose again from the grave, conquering sin and death. And, and so you look at these two events, Friday and Sunday, Jesus dying on the cross and, and rising up, and you try to put, which one is more important? Well, there's, there's no more important. The cross is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ doesn't happen without the cross. And, and both are so important and such a pinnacle to Christianity that, that Jesus died on a cross and he rose again the third day. Again, it's what separates us from every other religion in the world. There was recently a true story of a Muslim who just converted to Christianity. And when asked why he left Islam for Christianity, his answer was, if you're on a road and the road comes to a fork, and you have to decide which way you want to go, and if that way were to represent your eternity, and there were two men there by the fork in the road, and one of them was dead and the other one was alive, which one would you ask for direction? And Jesus is alive. And Jesus, the Bible says, He sits on the right hand of the Father. 
recently in a, in a Sunday school class, the, the teacher was talking about the, the, the majesty of the resurrection. And she started by explaining how, how amazing God himself was. And you know, some of the things about God, it says that, that, that God breathed the stars into existence. And we think about this, this star-breathing God. We, we, we know of the, the universe, and, and, and we have one star in our galaxy, Betelgeuse, that you could fit the sun and the moon and the earth inside of this one star. The earth could rotate on its axis around the sun and still have a hundred million miles left over in this one star in our galaxy called Betelgeuse. It's not even the biggest star in our galaxy. It's the third largest star in our galaxy. And the Bible says that, that God flicks with the finger, he sets them into motion. Do you know there's some force in, in, in the universe that had to set that thing in orbit? And the Bible tells us what that force was, God's finger. And so the majesty of God, and the Sunday school teacher is telling the class about this, and that Jesus rose from the grave, and he ever lives to to make intercession for us, and he sits on the right hand of the Father. And the, the kid goes home from Sunday school and is telling the mom about the resurrection and about the power of God. And, and she says, you know what's so amazing, God, mom? She says, God did all this with his left hand. And the mom's like, well, what, how do you get that? What are you talking about? Well, my teacher said that Jesus sits on his right hand. <laughs> so he had to do it all with his left. So the, the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is... Is, is everything. It's the pinnacle of Christianity. You know, I often tease you guys, and I say that, that the resurrection represents the day that Jesus defeated sin and death. What'd you do today? And, and, and this is, it's it for us. It, it's, it's everything. And you know, I, I don't know how to, I wish I could get a mallet. And I'll start with myself, and I and somehow try to beat this into our heads that we, we have the only person in human history that died, spent three days in a tomb and rose again and lives today. Like you want to follow somebody? You want to believe something? You know, next time some guru comes through and has some plan they want you to follow or some religion they want you to be a part of, tell man, look, I want to follow you. I'll follow you. I'll give you everything I have. I'll sell my house, my kids, my cars. I'll give you everything and follow you. All you have to do is die on Friday and raise again on Saturday, on Sunday, and I'll I'll follow you. If you can pull that one off, I'll follow you. If there's somebody worth following, it's, it's Jesus Christ who died and rose again the third day. Let's check it out in Mark chapter 16 uh, about the resurrection, Easter in August. And it says, um, Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices that they might come to anoint him. So Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome, these three women who were very close to Jesus throughout his ministry. Three women that in their own right were, were, were terrible people at one point and sinners who, who had a lot of baggage that Jesus set free and they had um, developed a, a, a great devotion and affection for Jesus and spent much time with Him. And these three women, they, raise up, they rise up early on Sunday morning and they went to anoint Jesus with spices. In Jesus' day and in Israel today, when, when you die, your funeral is immediate because they don't embalm. And so um, we had um, Ariel Sharon. He died. He died at 10 o'clock, and he was a former prime minister of Israel. And at 10 o'clock at night, 10 a.m. the next morning was his funeral service. And that's just the way it is in Israel. You die, the very next morning is your funeral service. They don't use embalming, and, and they bury you immediately. 
and, and with the situation. And so they will use spices. And the spices aren't necessarily anything, um, you know, magical or anything. They just cover the stench of, uh, of what a body will do that will decompose very quickly. And so the women go and they, they didn't have the opportunity to anoint Jesus with these spices and, and his body. And so they go on Friday on Sunday, and they bring these spices and they're going to anoint the body with Jesus. And it says in verse number two, it says very early in the morning. We're going to talk about early in the morning in a minute. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And so the first day of the week, the first day of the week is what? Sunday. That's today. Today's the first day of the week. The week ends on Saturday, starts on Sunday. Um, and that's why we meet as a church on Sunday morning. And I only, I only highlight that because there may be somebody in your life, there may be somebody you're going to run into who wants to jam you up that, that you're worshiping on the wrong day. The reason why we meet on Sunday and worship on Sunday is because that's the way that the early church did it. Because that's the day that Jesus rose from the grave, that they met in the early church and Peter and Paul and the apostles moving forward met on the first day of the week, which is Sunday. And, and so the... The, the people that, that say, you know, you're worshiping on the wrong day, you should worship on the Sabbath. You know, Paul addresses that. And he says that, he says that you shouldn't let anyone judge you based on feast days or esteem one day over a higher or what you eat or what you don't eat. And that, and that he esteems every day the same. Me personally, I believe that we should wor- worship Jesus on Sunday and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. And so we, we just follow a custom. Don't make it right or wrong, but we follow the custom of the early church of meeting on the first day of the week, which is on a Sunday. And it's so, verse number three, it says, And they said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? You know what's so interesting about this is that um, they, they, they went... And I want you to pick something up through the narrative of of Mark chapter 16. What's interesting is that there was no um, anticipation. There was no um, reality from any of the disciples or the woman that they were going to go and find an empty tomb. They had just missed it. And as we studied through the Gospels, we see where Jesus was constantly telling them that he would die and raise again. And they didn't get it. When it came to his death, it just went over their head. But there was no anticipation. There was no expectation that they were going to go and find an empty tomb. But the women wanted to go and they wanted to anoint, uh, anoint Jesus with spices. And so they, they stepped out in faith. They went not knowing how they were going to roll the stone away or what was going to happen, but they just stepped out. You know, so many times in the Bible, I mean, Genesis to Revelation, all the way through, we run into this same narrative. And I think it's a narrative for our lives, too, that we, we step out when we don't know what's going to happen. They didn't know who was going to roll the stone away. They went anyways. We don't know what's going to happen when we step into the Jordan River. And they stepped into the Jordan River anyways. Moses didn't know what was going to happen when the nation of Israel was backed up to the Red Sea and they went anyways and God showed up. God showed up and told Abraham one day, Abraham, I want you to go to, I want you to go and, and, and go to a city. The only thing was God didn't tell him what city, he just said go. Abraham said, okay, Lord. And he gathered his things and he took off, not knowing where he was going. And in life, faith sometimes is that way where you're never going to find the stone rolled away until you step out, until you show up at the tomb for God to give God the opportunity to do something. And we spend our lives waiting and sitting back and saying, well, as soon as you roll that stone away, then we'll go and anoint the body with spices. That's not the way it works. God wants us to step out in faith first. God's calling you or challenging you as a church. You know what? We're praying for that. We're asking God, hey, God, we want to, we want it when we step out. 
you know, you, you could just write us a, a check, you know, a big check. We could go write a check, buy a building, build something. Really wouldn't require a ton of faith. You know, but if we have to step out first and just hope that the stone's going to be rolled away once we step out, and that's kind of the way we're proceeding, it, it requires faith in our lives. And, and I think God, God uses that for our benefit. He, he allows that so that, that he can reward us with something at the end of the day. And so I love it how the women went out. They didn't know what was going to happen. They rose early in the morning. Um, and who's going to roll the stone away? Jesus will. God will. The Holy Spirit will. God, God will roll the stone away in your life. And in verse 4 it says, But when they looked up, they saw the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. And but he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. And so we have this scene where they come in. They find the stone already rolled away. They go down into the tomb, and there's, there's two angels that are there. Now, Mark only records one angel's voice. And in, and in Luke and in John's gospel, they tell us in those gospels there was two angels. Matthew and Mark only mention the angel that was speaking. Is that a contradiction? No, there were two angels. Luke and, and, and John tell us that. But Mark only records the, the spokesman of the two angels. So the two angels are there. They go down in. And the angel says to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Look and see the place where they've laid him. You know, recently we just got back from Israel. And I want to tell you as a testimony to the whole world, this very place that we're reading about today is alive and well in Jerusalem. And you can go there and you can stand in this place and you can see the place where they've laid him. He is not here. He is risen. And this same exact call to Mary and to the whole world is, is, is capable today. One day, each one of us, we're going to stand before God and we're going to give account for our lives. And I really believe that God, you know, if I can say this, he kind of keeps an ace up his sleeve because every, every, he's going to hear every excuse in the world why, why we didn't follow him, why we didn't believe. But today, you can go to Jerusalem and, and it's, it's controlled by the Scottish. And this area of the garden tomb, the actual place where Jesus was laid, the stone, it fits the biblical narrative. It is the spot that Jesus rose again. It's free. And most of the sites you pay, you got to get in. This one's not, there's no charge. So you can't stand before God one day and say, well, I didn't have the two bucks to go get through the gate and check it out. He says, no, it's free. You can get in. And it stands today as a testimony to the whole world that he's not here. He is risen. Come and see the place where they laid him that our Lord is alive and he's risen. And he goes on and it says in verse seven, but go and tell his disciples and Peter. Somebody say, and Peter. Somebody say, and, and then put your name in there. Somebody say, and, and then put your name in there. This, this is the gospel message. We're going to get to and Peter in a minute because I want you to highlight that. I want you to, to, to emphasize that. But, you know, before we get there, this message is so central to the gospel. Come and see, go and tell. Come and see, go and tell. And what, is, what does the angel tell Mary and the, and the ladies there? Come in, see the place where they laid him. And then when they come in and they see it's not there, what does she say? She says, go and tell the disciples. Go and tell, go and tell the world. And that's what God tells us today. That, that is the great commission for us. Come and see, go and tell. It's also the model for the church, for the chair that you're sitting in, for the, the church that we have here. It's the model that the early church laid out. And it's like a wave that goes in and comes out, goes in and comes out. 
And really for, for us in church, you know, you know what you don't see too often in, in church in the New Testament? It's not a place where like non-believers come and, and the pastor preaches or the disciple, whoever preaches the gospel and people get saved. All the getting saved was happening outside the church. And, the, and then the Bible says the Lord was adding to the church daily those that were being saved. Those that were being saved. Where were they being saved? They were being saved outside the church. And church was a place, and, and even the way Jesus worked with the disciples, he, they came together and they, they licked each other's wound, wounds. They, they taught one another. They encouraged one another. They, they, they prepared one another. They equipped one another. And then they went out. And as Jesus said, I send you out as lambs among wolves. And they went out and they got beat up and they did ministry and they, they lived life and they shared the gospel and people were getting saved. And the Holy Spirit was adding to the church the people that they were ministering to. And then they were coming together. And as a family of believers, they would, it would happen all over again. The wave would go in. It would come out. They would get together. They would encourage one another. They, somebody would teach and they would grow and they would, they would lick each other's wombs and inspire one another. And then they would go back out and get beat up again. And that, that's the message. You know, today it's like, it's like we get this idea, and I think it's good, part of it's good, that, that church is where people get saved. And that, you know, and we're, we tell you guys too, like, the least you can do, the least we can do, is you can invite somebody to church and I'll share the gospel with them. Maybe we're not comfortable, and that's okay. But, but, but I think that as a, as a Christ follower, as a disciple, we, we want to live our lives in such a way that's come and see, go and tell, come and see, go and tell. You know, you know, the fastest way, you know, people ask me this question all the time as a pastor, you know, how do I, how do I grow in Jesus? When I read the Bible, I don't, I don't see it the way you see it. Or when I pray, I don't have the experience that you have, or I don't find the words that you find. And how how do I grow in my relationship, in my intimacy with Christ? How do I know more when God is speaking to me and, and develop more of my, my walk in Christ? And, And it's this idea of come and see, go and tell. And what you have to do is you have to take what God puts in your heart and give it to somebody and share it. And as you share, God's going to fill it in more. And as you share, God's going to fill it in more. And then you begin to grow in Christ. You guys know the example. I've shared it a hundred times. Couldn't be truer. Is, is there's two bodies of water in Israel, the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee has the Jordan River coming in one side, going out the other. The Dead Sea, the Jordan River flows into it and stops. Nothing lives in the Dead Sea. The Sea of Galilee is alive and it's teeming with life and fish because it has an inlet and an outlet. And in our walk to grow in Christ, to be healthy, you know, if you just look at it as being a healthy Christian, you have to have in and out to be healthy, in and out to be healthy. And so allowing God's Holy Spirit to use you and to give out. You know, the Paul says concerning this, he says, take heed how you hear. Now, what does that mean? He's giving instruction in the word of God in Romans that, that we would take heed how you listen. So there's a certain way that we're supposed to listen that's better than another way. And, and I, I think that is like for me, and, 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 and again, I kind of have, have empathy for maybe some people in a different position. I obviously have the opportunity to, to share more and, and teach and give out. But when I listen or when I hear a message... When I, when I pray, when I read the word, I'm always reading with a different set of ears. I'm always listening with a different set of ears because I'm always asking myself, like, how can I put that in a sermon? How can I use that as an example? How can I, when I learn and when I take something in as I'm listening to the radio, I'm taking it in always, like, I listen a little more intently. I listen a little differently because I want to receive it so that I can give it out. 
And that's what Paul's talking about when he says, take heed how you hear. And I'll tell you, it'll change your Christianity. Because I, I think we can tune out and turn off. And, and if we're Sunday Christians, and, and Sunday is, oh, you know, you come and you, you, you fill your seat, you check your box, and, and Monday through Saturday, there's, there's no real devotion in your life. There's no real commitment as a disciple of Christ, as a Christ follower who, who believes what the Bible says, takes it literally, and actually wants to do it. Then, then there's no, there's, there's no, you, you, you listen different, you hear different, you grow different, you grow slower. Amen? Amen. So, next part. But go and tell his disciples and Peter. Was Peter one of the disciples? Why, why did the Holy Spirit, through the voice of this angel, then single out Peter if he already said, go and tell the disciples, which would have included Peter? When is the last time we saw Peter? We saw Peter last time we saw Peter. It says that he, he went away and he wept bitterly. I, I, I don't think we get maybe too many opportunities in our life to weep bitterly. And maybe it's a good thing. But if you've ever wept bitterly, it comes from your toes. The back of your eyes hurt. Your soul hurts. Your body hurts. Something is just, you weep bitterly. There's a certain just, I've seen... Several times I've been with Pastor Gerald, Lydia's dad, where he's just wept bitterly over something and just happened to be there when, when it came on and just, you know, in my life, wept bitterly several times over things. And it's, it's a different type of weeping. And this, 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 the last time we see Peter, it says that he wept bitterly. And you guys know the story, right? Peter stood up, he put his chest out and he said, oh, Lord. He said, you see them disciples over there? They're schmucks, not me. I'll never deny you. I'll stand by you, even if I have to die, Lord. I don't know if you can trust John and those other guys, but me, Lord, you can trust me. And Jesus looked at him and said, Peter, before the cock crows three times, you'll, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And then Peter went out and a little girl is asking him if he knows Jesus and he's cursing at her and he's denying Christ and he's saying, I don't know the man as he curses at this little girl in the garden. And at that moment, Jesus was being led away and they made eye contact and the cock crowed and Jesus rem- or Peter remembered the words of Jesus and he began to weep bitterly and he left. And that was the last time, just several days ago on Friday. Then here we are on Sunday and, and, and Jesus is risen and the angels are telling Mary and these ladies to go and tell the disciples and Peter. Tell Peter that I, I love him. Tell Peter that I forget. I know Peter's hurting right now. I know, I know that Peter feels like he's, he's being set aside. And, and so when you go and give this message, make sure, you, make sure Peter knows that he was personally invited. Make sure that Peter knows that I'm not angry with him. Make sure Peter knows that my heart is to restore him and love him and care for him. And Peter, and Peter. And that's where you put your name in there. And Brian. When I say and Brian in here, it covers like 14 of you, so... It's good. And Chris. I don't know. I, I, I'm going to start checking IDs at the door because I always give everybody a hard time. I say, if you live in Utah, I don't know about Utah. It could be Utah too because it was the same way where I worked. But I tell them in our church. You come to our church, I say, you forget one of the guy's names, just try Brian. Because like half the guys in here's name is Brian. And you, you probably have a pretty good chance of getting it right. And so I always tease the Bryans because we have like five Bryans. And ever since then, we've had all these Chris's that keep coming to church. And now the, the Chris's and the Bryans are like, the Lord's like, so I'm going to check your ID at the door. If your name is Chris, and I don't you have to, you have to go by Christy or something. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> um, all right. And Chris. 
Tell the disciples and Peter and Brian and John and Rudy and everybody. You know, the, the Lord, it, it's so neat how God just really singles out and he calls out and he says to Peter, I love you and I care for you. And go and tell the disciples and Peter. And then he goes on and it says that he is going before you into Galilee. Therefore, you will see him as he said to you. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb and they trembled and were amazed. And then he said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Now, when he arose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. And so went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. I want to tell you before I get into this next section, 9 verses 20. I don't know if you guys have a newer translation, but in your newer translations, you have a margin here. Do you guys have one of these? And it'll have the chapter and the little verses, and it'll have little um, kind of references in there and places cross references and so you can go in your margin and you can read well in the margin here in mark it it says that that verses 9 through 20 um were not listed in the early earliest manuscripts of the gospel of mark and therefore it's possible that they're not supposed to be contained within the gospel of mark chapter 9 verses 20 I, i i only bring that out because it's written right there on the page of your bible and so um they, they are listed in, in all of the newer or, or later manuscripts. And because one is older than the other, doesn't necessarily mean that it's better than another one. You can be wrong for a longer time or a shorter time and still be wrong. But just because it's older doesn't necessarily mean that it carries more weight. But it was left out and it wasn't in there. And there's a section as we get to the end of this where he talks about um, poisonous snakes biting you and not getting hurt and drinking poison and not harming you. And people have so misabused that, that, that verse that, that, that it's easier sometimes, I think, for people just to say, well, it doesn't belong. And, and as you read the arguments on both sides of this last um, 12 verses of, of, of the Gospel of Mark, you know, the side that says it wasn't in the earliest manuscripts, therefore it's a good chance it doesn't belong here in the canon. Um, you know, there's different words that are used that, that maybe are not consistent with the rest of the Gospel of Mark, a new word that Mark never used in the other Gospel. He re-mentions Mary Magdalene and, and in that, um, why? And, and so, you know, it's possible that maybe even a solution is that, you know, Peter dictated Mark's Gospel. Mark was not an eyewitness to these things. And as you go through the Gospel of Mark, it's Peter's, um, Peter's version of, of the story dictated to Mark and recorded by Mark. And so it's possible that in these last couple of verses, maybe Mark didn't write it down, somebody else did, that Peter dictated this last part. But, but it's in the Word of God, and, and, and rightfully so. I believe that it belongs there. It's supposed to be there. It's meant to be there or, or that we wouldn't have it. But again, I only bring that out because, again, someone might challenge you on the, the last you know, 12 verses. And every time you go to Mark 16, someone will always come up and say, Oh, it wasn't supposed to be there. And well, so you have that note. You guys can decide for yourself. But in verse 11, it says, And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. I want you to underline did not believe. And I'm going to challenge you guys today on a did not believe in your own life. We're going to see it a couple times. You know, there, there's, an, there's a, a catalyst in our life um, and, and in Christianity, in our walk with Christ. And, you know, there's a root. Let's, let's take marriage, for example. You know, in marriage, I've, I've read lots of different books. I've been to lots of different seminars and things. And, and I've always heard, over the years, I've always heard the number one problem in, in marriage problems is finance. 
And then another guy says, no, the, the number one problem in all of marriage is communication between a husband and a wife. And then someone else will say, the number one problem, and you have all these ideas and philosophies about what the number one problem is. But biblically, I'll, I'll, I'll just tell you what it is so you know, because I'm the one that knows, not those guys. Because I live with Lydia. Um, the number one problem in marriage, it comes down to what the Bible says. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and let a wife see that she respects her husband. So, so all those other things are symptoms. They really are. Because biblically, what the issue is, and, and in all the, the, the years of marriage counseling, you can always boil it down. Yeah, it could be finances. It could be communication. It could be intimacy. It could be will and, and power struggle. But at the end of the day, it, it, it's solved because that's what the Word of God says. It's solved by husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church and a wife who respects her husband. And so we have, you know, when, when the guy came to Jesus and he said, what is the greatest commandment? You have all these different commandments, but yet there was one that summed it all up. It all came to one, right? Jesus said, when, when the guy came and said, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? You go, oh, they finally got him. They finally trapped him. Because if Jesus says, don't murder, well, then what about don't lie? And if he says, don't steal, then what about don't have false gods before me? And all these traps they tried to set for Jesus, you're like, oh, doggy, they finally got him. And then you get Jesus's answer. And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, are you going to steal? Are you going to murder? Are you going to covet? Are you going to put... You're not. So Jesus gives the one thing that covers all 632 commandments in the law. And I really believe that in our Christianity, so much of, of what we lack, so much of, of what God is trying to do, because it's, it's scriptural and it's biblical and it always comes to this point, is what Jesus is, is saying and doing in Mark chapter 16. And it comes down to this very simple thing where he, it says here, they did not believe. It's going to happen again. They did not believe. And you know what's going to happen? Jesus is going to show up and he's going to give them the great commission. And if you read it in Matthew's gospel, you think it's like Jesus was smiling and he was happy and he was like charging them up and like, come on, go and make disciples. And he was just like giving them a really good pep talk. But when we get the same story here in Mark's gospel, Jesus is getting after him. He's a little bit, he's a little bit upset or chastising or, or disciplining. I don't know what the right word is, but Jesus is getting after him in the Great Commission. And it comes down to this key issue in the disciples' life that, that brings failure. The same thing, I believe, that brings failure in your life and in my life in so many different areas. And that's unbelief. You know, we do a ton of, a ton of, mer- uh, of, of counseling in church. It's a function of the church. You're going through something. You need some counseling. It's something that we, we, we enjoy doing. It's something that we, um, we want to love people through and, and encourage people in, in the gospel and in, in doing what the Word of God is, what the Word of God says. But let me just be real honest with you about counseling. So many counseling sessions that I've been in in my life, they're meaningless. They're, they're, they're a waste of time. It's, it's just it's, it's because the bottom line is, you know what counseling is? It's trying to get people to do what God's Word says. It's trying to encourage you to get what God's word says. And sometimes somebody comes and they just don't know what God's word says. And they just, they really need the tools. And you can, you can have success in that meeting because you can give them what God's word says. And then they go out and they want to do it. But nine times out of 10, or maybe not nine, but so many times in counseling, people have no desire to do what God's word says. 
and they want to come and find an excuse or they want to come and and check a box so that they, they went to counseling. But the reality is the hard truth for you this morning is do what God's word says. Go and read the Bible, do what it says, and you'll experience God's blessing. You'll experience God's victory. You know, we have so many um, people that struggle with, with, with death and with um, hard things. And it's one of the areas in counseling that we spend a lot of time with. So-and-so has passed, and, 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 and I'm missing them, and I'm having a hard time, and I'm struggling. And, you know, it, it really comes down to that there does come a point where, as the Bible says, that, that, that you, you move on and you move forward and you, 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 life is for the living. And there's people that are alive and well in your life next to you. And, and, and what you're telling them is that they're not as important as the dead people and that it's a time to have victory. And you can mourn, but you can only stay in it for a season. And now you've got to get up and walk and you've got to do what the word of God says. And you have to heal and you have to grow. And it's hard to tell people that. It's hard to be honest with people that there comes a time where, where, where you get up, you stand, and you walk, and you do what the Word of God says, and you forget those things that are past, and you press towards the goal, the goal of the upward prize. Have I offended anybody yet? If I haven't, I'll keep going, because that's the intention. It's going to step on your toes a little bit, not needlessly, not because I decided this morning that I should come in and offend you, but because I really believe that what Jesus is doing here in Mark chapter 16 is exactly this. This is an example that Jesus set and he came to the disciples and there came that time where, where dad had to come and spank your butt. And there came that time where dad had to come and pull you aside and say, no, you're wrong. You're, you're blowing it. And, and as, you, as you grow and as you look back, you didn't like it that day. But maybe you look back and you say, you know what? My dad was right. My dad gave me a lesson that day in the woodshed that I needed that changed my life that's going to help me be a better father, a better husband. And, and there comes a time where you just, you, you, you got you to face it. And this is what Jesus is going to do. And so, again, I don't want to, I know I'm going in a lot of different areas, but listen, this is what I'm saying. The, the key right here of what Jesus is dealing with, and I think it's the key in your life and in my life, in areas of trouble, it comes down to this, unbelief. Somebody say unbelief. Somebody say, did not believe. Did you underline it in your word? So God says, I will supply all of your needs in Christ Jesus. Jesus said, if the sparrows have food and, and, and foxes have a holes, and, and, if, and if I provide for the needs of nature, how much more will I then provide for your needs? And then we have needs that we need met and we don't believe and we frustrate and we get angry and we get emotional. And we don't believe God and so many of these things. And this is what Jesus is talking about to his disciples this day is an area of unbelief. So let's go to verse 12. It says, after that, he appeared on another form in another form to two men as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest. But they what? They did not believe them either. Underline it. Then later he appeared to the eleven, and as they sat at the table, little little pause right there, right? There's a, there's a, there's a there's a semicolon after table in verse fourteen. There's a pause. So finally he he he's appearing, and people are coming to the eleven, and they're saying, "I saw Jesus. He's alive." And what did what is what does it say twice that the eleven did? They did not believe. They did not believe. And so now here we have Jesus who shows up and he says, hey, boys. 
And they're sitting around a table, the Bible tells us. And at the table, then we get this pause in the scriptures. And what is the next thing that Jesus says? And it says, And he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of hearts because they did not believe those who, who had seen him after he had risen. And, 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 and then he goes on and he gives them the Great Commission. Go into all the world. And, and preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all things that I commanded you. But in context, right, from Mark's gospel, the, the, the setting that the, around this table when Jesus is going to give this great commission, he's getting after them. And, and he's, he's calling them on their unbelief. I'm reading, a, I'm reading a book right now. I was reading it on my vacation, and um, there's a couple chapters in it that... Um, really convicted me this week. And um, I, w- I want to share just kind of briefly, and it fits here in this, in the context of this, that there's a difference between a believer and a disciple. You know, I remember Pastor Bob, one of our pastors, he said, Chris, he said, it, it's easy to make the believers. It's hard to make disciples and talking about in the church that we wanted to have here. You know, you know, there's church models of, of churches that are exploding all over, all over the world, all over the nation. We, we have churches growing up, and it's these, these young gun churches, and they got confetti falling out of the ceiling and smoke things and lights and rock bands and, and exploding. I went to one on uh, Wednesday night. We were in L.A., and I'd been wanting to go check out this church in, in Beverly Hills at the, at the Beverly Wilshire, um, same place where they, where they filmed Pretty Woman. And um, it's on Rodeo Drive in Beverly Hills, and... Um, so we go and we checked it out and it was, it was interesting. One of the Kardashians was there. She actually made a comment about Gabrielle. We were sitting in the back and she got up like right before the service ended so she could be the first one to leave. And she saw the baby as she walked by and made a comment. And um, Taylor Lauder was there. I think that's his name, the guy from whatever. And Kate, uh, Twilight, the kid from Twilight who's the wolf guy was there. And there's a couple other people we recognize and NBA guys. And Caleb, my son, there's a show on Disney called Mighty Med. And, and, and the, the cast of Mighty Med was sitting on the row in front of him. He's like, the whole cast of my favorite show, Dad, was sitting right there. <laughs> Tons of people in this big ballroom. And, you know, and, and, and everybody's drinking water out of wine glasses when you go in. And they have all the wine glasses set out in the water. And so you, when you first walk in, you see everybody holding the wine glass. You're like, dude, I knew this was city church. but And then it's just water. They're just drinking water. And you know what? The message is Jesus. The, the guy preached Jesus. He gave an opportunity for people to come and meet Jesus. He taught out of the word. But I tell you, there's, there's several things. And those churches are, are, are blown up. But there's, there's really no discipleship that's, caught, that, that's, that's taught there. There's, there's, they're never going to talk about anything controversial. They're never going to deal with portions of the Bible and the scripture that, 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 that are controversial. They're, they're never going to deal with sin and, 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 and areas of your life. They're always going to come and, and give you some feel-good message. You're going to feel good about yourself. You're going to have an opportunity to say a sinner's prayer and ask Jesus in your heart and, um, and, and go your way and live your life the rest of the week however you desire to live. And, and no real call to discipleship. And you know what? We could do that here, and, and people would be a lot less offended and would stick around a lot more. But when people come and I tell them that, hey, there's a cost to discipleship, and we're not looking for you just to become a believer in Christ. We're looking for you to be a Christ follower who's a disciple of Jesus. And being a believer is easy. And being a disciple of Jesus Christ is hard. And they're two different things. 
But Jesus never told us to go and make believers. He said, go and make disciples. And there's a cost for discipleship. That, you know, this whole idea that, of being a Jesus freak or stepping out and, and people labeling you as something you don't want to be labeled at. Well, Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. You know, we have this kid, one of my, one of my, one of my crushes. His name is Jeremy Bear, and he was the pastor in Ogden. And he got saved, came to Christ here in Utah, grew up his whole life here in Utah, an LDS family. Um, and, and him and another guy, you know, kind of involved in Calvary, and they, they wanted to start a church. They didn't have nothing. They didn't know nobody. They didn't have any experience, no training. They just started a church, and God blessed it. And, and the church started growing and growing and growing, and God was using it, and God was raising up. And they were talented musicians, and, and Jeremy's a gifted preacher and, and, and speaker and handsome kid and just everything going for him, you know. And, and then about two years ago, he got offered a, a position in Romania, or I'm sorry, in Hungary, in Europe, to, to oversee the discipleship program in the Calvary Chapel Bible College. And as he went to people in his, in his life, in his circle, and he told them, hey, I'm going to move my whole family to Hungary to work in a Bible college, discipling young students from all over the world that come here to study the Bible. And, and they would say, wow, that's a good gig. How much you get paid for that? And he'd say, well, paid? No, I, I don't get paid. I have to pay them to go. True story. You're crazy. You're a fool. You're going to move your whole family from what's comfortable, where you grew up, your life here in Utah. You're going to move to a foreign country where the Syrian refugee crisis is completely out of control. And, and you're a foreigner there. You don't even speak the language. Your kids aren't going to go to normal school. And you're going to pay them so that you can do that. Yeah, I got to raise my own support and I got to go and pay them. And they say, you're a fool. He's not a fool. He's investing in his eternal kingdom. They're a fool. You're, you're not a fool if you, you give up what you can't keep to gain what you cannot lose. And, 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 and man, what, that's discipleship. That, that's a real buy-in. That's, that's, that's investing in an eternal kingdom. And Jesus said, go and make disciples. And, and in this book I'm reading, again, it's just, it's just a, a conviction, just a, a reminder. You know, so many times in the Bible, you know what's interesting? Jesus, oftentimes you find him trying to talk people out of following him almost. It's like they would come and they would say, Jesus, I want to follow you. And he'd say, no, go, go sell everything you own and then come follow me. He didn't say, okay, just come on in here and let me lead you in this little sinner's prayer. I'll make the sign of the cross for you and then you could be a Christ follower and it won't really have to affect the other areas of your life. You can just leave those alone. And however you want to do it, just come and follow me and uh, pray this prayer and visit the tithe box on your way out. No, he said, no, you want to follow me? There's a cost for discipleship. Go and sell everything you own and then come follow me. And, and, and you know, what, what about the guy that said, Lord, I'll, I want, I'll follow you, but I want to first go bury my father. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead. You come and follow me. He was harsh. Isn't that harsh? No, it's not harsh. It's the reality of discipleship. So again, I just, you know, our, our, our heart here, you know, we could do so much more, you guys. We could do so much more with just a handful of you guys, just a handful of believers that are fully sold out for Jesus. They're on fire. They're unashamed. They're ready to see, you know, this mountain come down and, and see something God's spirit move. And, and, and don't you want to be used that way? Don't you want to be a part of something that's like, I want to be used by God. And I don't want to just walk through this life just enough that I can do enough that I don't have to go to hell. 
and 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 that's kind of where the idea of those that that are believers and you have enough faith that you know you, you don't want to go to hell or you're not and you know the lord but but not enough to really become a disciple of jesus christ so just a challenge for us that you know we we want to be disciples we want to make disciples and if we get a bunch of disciples together then we can change this county, we can change this community way faster, way more effectively with people who pray and love Jesus and are bought and sold in than having a big crowd of a bunch of phonies who, who just come for the wine glass full of water or to see one of the Kardashians or something. And then it goes on and it says, And he said to them, this is where he gives them the Great Commission, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. So in baptism, and it says again, the condemnation is for what? The condemnation is not for not getting baptized. It says he will be, he who does not believe will be condemned. So the idea of condemnation is tied to, again, unbelief and, and not putting your faith and your belief that Jesus rose again from the grave. And then he says, and these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. And so, again, some people have taken this, and there's real churches that exist today in, in, in somewhere in the south. I don't know. I don't want to offend anybody, but like in the Ozarks somewhere, probably in Arkansas, where they marry their cousins type of place. And they, um, just kidding you're from Arkansas. If you're from Arkansas, just pretend I said like Oklahoma or Texas or something, Georgia. But they, they have, they have snake charming churches. You can go online you can see it. It's a, and they, the, the pastor handles snakes because of this verse. And if the snake bites them, they can't. And then, and then, you know, what happened recently that the pastor got bit and died. And then you think the church would die, right? No, his son now stands on stage and handles the snakes in the snake charming church. And that's not what God intended for us. That, that, that's not what God said. You know, that's the same temptation that Jesus was given by Satan, right? Jesus, Satan brought Jesus up onto the pinnacle of the temple, and he said, throw yourself down from here because the angels will guard over you. They're not going to let you get hurt. The angels aren't going to let you get hurt. So the angels will catch you up if you throw yourself down from here. That's not the idea. That's not what and Jesus said. No, he refused that because that's not what the word of God said. It's not like you, you go, oh, well, I, I have a call of God on my life and I'm supposed to preach at VBS and kids are going to get saved tomorrow. And so I'm going to go play on the freeway today and I'm not going to die because I can't because God's got a call. And I'm purposely going to put myself in harm's way. Or how about you guys climb on the top of our two-story roof and do a head dive? Guess what's going to happen? You're going to break your neck. And the angels aren't going to guard you or stop you because if you got on the roof and jumped off, that's not what the Word of God says. And so it's not talking about purposely handling. You know, the other thing about this is we have an example of every one of these um, things, except for the drinking of poison. But in the New Testament, every one of them happened. Paul was bitten by a serpent. The key here is as you go. As you go. Go and make disciples. And so what is the call? You come in. You meet together as a family of believers. You grow. You love one another. You encourage one another. And then we all, we leave here. Big sign over the back door, right? You're now entering the mission field. We go out. And as we go and make disciples, as we go and, and spend our week serving Jesus, that if something along the way gets in our way, something along the way is, is blocking us, he says, in that, I'll be with you. I'll protect you. God, God will go with you and care for you. 
And that's what he means by this. And that's what he's saying. That, and these things will happen. And every one of them did happen. And God protected all the way through. Amen? All right. We're going to um, change gears just a little bit now. Um, because we're going to receive communion as a family of believers this morning. So I just want to share a quick communion meditation. And then um, we're going to invite you guys to come up and receive communion. Two things that we, we highlight on Communion Sunday. And by the way, just so that you know, communion is served the first Sunday of every month. So the first Sunday of every month, we, we celebrate as a family of believers uh, in the Lord's Supper in, in obedience to what the Word of God says. So there's two areas that, that we always highlight in communion. Number one, in a nutshell, in remembrance of me, that's what Jesus said. And then what Paul said in 1 Corinthians, he said, examine yourself. And so I always tell you those, but I never actually read the whole scripture. So today I'm just going to save the commentary. I'm just going to read what it says. And then as we receive communion this morning as a family of believers, what we do is the worship team will come up and they'll lead us in a song. And then you guys will come up out of your seats and, and take the cup and the bread and go back to your seat. And we ask that you spend one song between you and God, separate Separate yourself from any thoughts, any people around you, anything going on, unless you want to be intimate with those in your family and share it together. That's good, too. But separate yourself from from and just spend some time with the Lord. One song and two things you have to do. Number one, do this in. And number two, anybody remember what number two is? Examine. Examine yourself. Okay. so number one, remembrance of me. This is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 22. When he instituted the Lord's Supper, he says, When the hour had come, he sat down with the twelve apostles with him, and he said to them, With fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then he took the cup, and he gave thanks, and he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and he gave thanks, and he broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, he also took up the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. And then, and then as Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper and, and receiving of communion as something that the church, when we gather, it's something that we should do. It's what the Bible said. When you gather together, receive in communion together. Well, the Corinthian church that Paul started... They, they were doing this and they were receiving communion, except for they had it all messed up and they were doing it wrong. And, and so Paul hears about what's going on and, and he's pretty upset, right? And, and, and heartbroken for the Corinthian church that's just messed it all up. And so he writes them in some instruction on how as a church they're supposed to be doing communion and what they're doing wrong. And then he says at the end of it, he says, and, and just do this for now, but I'm coming to you. And when I get there, we're going we're gonna to hash this out and we're going we're gonna to clean this up. But this is what Paul told the Corinthian church about communion. And this is part two, examine yourself. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of our Lord. But let a man examine himself, so let, eat, let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And so that's the second part. Let a man examine himself and then eat of the bread in the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if, for if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. 
Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment, and the rest I will set in order when I come to you. And so we're going to have the worship team come on up at this point, and we'll um, invite you guys here in a moment to come up and receive communion. As you go back to your seat, there's a little um, cup holder in the seat back in front of you. You can put your empty cup in when you're done. Take your time, whether you take a few minutes or when we notice everybody's done, the song will end and um, we'll, we'll, we'll close and, and let you guys go. And so spend some time with the Lord this morning personally and allow God to speak to you and, and examine your heart. And I often pray during communion and just say, Lord, is there something you want to speak to me? Is there a weight or a sin in my life that you can't use that you, you, you want to go? And oftentimes we think of a weight and a sin as something that we're doing that's bad. And it could be. But maybe it's something that you're not doing that you're supposed to be doing. Maybe God's called you to step out and, and go into the, the, the world and make disciples or do something. And then, and then this is a, a family celebration. And you know what? We never, we never say who's worthy and because Paul says people were doing it in an unworthy manner. And from that scripture I just read, there's, there's certain churches that say, you know, the Catholic Church, for example, they have certain rules in different places where who can receive and who can. And in a lot of Christian churches, it's done the same way. And, you know, the pastor decides or whatever. And I'm like, well, then if... If I decide who gets to take communion, then who gets to decide if I'm worthy enough to take communion? And it's hypocritical and it doesn't work and it's between you and God anyways. But, but if I'm just being honest, so everybody's welcome to take communion. I'm, I'm, nobody's your judge of whether you, you want to receive communion or not. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I encourage you that today you should and, and, and will come up and receive communion. But, but if I'm being honest, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, then, then you take part in his, what is his body and his blood. It really doesn't make any sense. And not that you're not welcome, but if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, then why, why receive in, in communion in the Lord's Supper? And so rather than just let it pass today, I want to give you an opportunity to become a believer in Jesus Christ and come with the family of believers and, and receive communion with, with your church family today and, and do it in remembrance of Jesus and examine your heart and get your heart and life right with the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's pray. When I close in prayer, I'm going to invite you guys just to come up and, and take the communion, the bread and the cup back to your seat and spend some time with the Lord. Dear Lord Jesus, I come before you and I, I pray, Lord, first, if there's anybody here today who who's not sure about their, their, their heaven and hell, they're not sure about their salvation or they've been a person of unbelief but today god they say i believe and today i I receive jesus in my heart and and i want to come up and receive in the lord's supper as a believer in jesus christ i pray for that person in this room today whoever they are they know who they are and, and lord they've just asked you and surrendered and if you are that person today all you do is you say yes lord in your heart and you surrender your life and your heart to the lord jesus christ and father for the family of believers that's gathered today We thank you for this bread, which represents your body that was broken for us. And Jesus, we do this in remembrance of you. And we thank you for this cup, which represents the blood of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And Father, we we do this in remembrance of you. And Jesus, as we take it back to our seat, we just spend a few quick moments to examine ourselves. We pray, Jesus, that you would help us in that process. In Jesus' name. Amen.